0: launching a brand new series today entitled, We Are Family. Everybody say that, We Are Family. We're going to really try to keep our focus over the next few weeks on the transforming power of Christ in our lives and the way that we really see that lived out, especially as we as individuals seek to strive and to abide in Christ. And that's kind of a strange word when you hear the word abide or remain in Christ. And I would dare say that if I was to take a poll from all of you who are gathered here this morning that we'd probably have a lot of different definitions and expectations of what that word abide or remain really means. And I hope to clarify that for us toward the end of this sermon a little bit better. But I'll tell you this, all of this includes keeping and maintaining our relationships with God our Father, all because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And the whole idea is that this transformational power that has happened to us when we came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is to be lived out in the world where we live our lives. Each of us, our lives are connected to various spheres of influence. And irregardless of what your story is, if you're a Christian, you have a story. Point at yourself and say, yes, I have a story. And it doesn't have to be one of these big stories that are way up here about somebody who just fell into the wretches in the darkness of sin and God redeemed them. I want you to know this morning that you are so special and so loved by God that your story is so unique. that There are people on this planet that God is destined for them to hear your story, not mine, not Terry's, or not Bruce's, but yours. And as a family... We make up a lot of stories that really empowers us and equips us to touch the lives of a lot of people. Now, my text this morning is going to come from John chapter 15, so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to there with me, John chapter 15. But I want to set this series up just a little bit because chapters 13 through 17 contain part of the extended and private teaching that Jesus gives with his disciples. And the night that he shared all of the teachings that you'll find in those passages of Scripture are teachings that he shared with them the night that he sat in the upper room and he, he drank wine with them and he broke bread with them, just like we're going to do at the end of our service this morning. It was just before his crucifixion. In fact, it's called the, the Last Supper discourses or the Last Supper conversations. And I, and I think it's important that we listen with both our heads and our hearts this morning to the last words that Jesus leaves with his disciples. How many of you are familiar with the CBS news magazine show called 60 Minutes? Let me see your hands. A few years ago, I remember watching an episode where they were interviewing a hospice nurse. And this is a specialist who works with people when they're actually dying. They work with the individual who's dying, but they also work with the family to help them bring meaning to their final days, to bring a sense of closure, to to bring a sense of dignity. And I remember when they were interviewing her, she said they interviewed her, and this was her statement. She says, as the end approaches, she says, it's normal for the patients to want to return home and, if possible, spend their finally, their final days at home with family and friends. Because for most, she said it's important for them to have the final conversations. And then I remember her tagging on the end of that. She called the final conversations needed conversations. Some of you know what that's about. Some of you have been a part of those final conversations and those needed conversations. So when I read this passage, as I began to prepare for this message several weeks ago, I, I found myself thinking and asking the question. I thought, I wonder when Jesus was gathered around that table with the disciples that last night, and remember, his, his life's not measured in months. It's not measured in days. At this point in time, it's measured in hours before he's going to be crucified. And I wonder if Jesus had similar thoughts about what it would be like when he left this earth and returned to the right hand of the Father and received his glory in heaven. I, and I wondered if he thought about specifically choosing the conversations that he has with his disciples who are gathered around that table that night. Because this is the last time that he's going to really be able to teach them with his words. And when I read these chapters in John, when I read them over and over, in fact, the more that I read them, the more I can see that there's this longing in Jesus for this sense of closure. And I think I can see a strong desire in him to even want to be at home. And when we're aware of the fact that Jesus just has hours left to live. It brings a level of importance to the teachings that, that I think warrant us paying particularly close attention. And for a long time now, I've come to personally believe that when we're reading these teachings in John chapter 13 through 17, this, the last teachings of Jesus, the last discourse... I think we're really being introduced and, and led into some of the most intimate writings in all the Gospels. This is a dying man who has gathered those who are the closest to him. And these are the words that he chooses to leave with them. Now Judas is a part of this group originally, but, but Judas leaves. And right after he leaves, you have the 11 who remain. And in verses 9 through 13, Jesus makes it very clear who those who love him really are. This is what he says in verses 9 through 13. He says, those who seek to demonstrate their love for me by living their lives according to my commandments are those who truly love me. And if you can imagine the Last Supper, they're seated around the table and Judas is Dipped his hand in the sop dish with the piece of bread. And Jesus said the one who did that would be the one who would betray him. And it's after that that Judas excuses himself and goes out because he's made previous arrangements to betray Jesus. And it's after Judas leaves that Jesus speaks to the eleven who remain. It was the ears of the eleven who would, who would hear these words, and had they not written them down they would have been lost to us. And they are words that are spoken to a group of eleven that are shared in a private room, where they are protected and secluded from the growing crowds of doubt and the anger of the enemies that are growing against the cross that wait for them just outside. Then I thought about Judas a little bit. Did you ever think about Judas? I guess I think about him because I find a little bit of Judas in me. In many ways, I think Judas represents everyone to whom Jesus has offered light and life, but, but who've refused to respond to Jesus with faith. I mean, maybe they've taken a couple steps. Maybe they've looked at the journey, but they've never really embarked on the pathway. And most of us remember who Judas was. He was one of the original 12 disciples that that Jesus chose. And and like the other disciples, Judas was privy to the miracles that Jesus did. He he sat in and he heard the teachings of Jesus. He, He was so close with them, he was even appointed to oversee the disciples' treasury. He was privileged. He was one of the crowds where after Jesus would teach people and nobody understood, the disciples would come up to him in private and say, Jesus, what did you mean? And the Bible says when Jesus withdrew with his disciples, he would explain things more fully to them. Judas was a part of of this group. Outwardly, he looked like a disciple. Behaviorally, probably acted like a disciple in a lot of respects probably talked like him but in his mind and in his heart there was a terrible sin of unbelief there was this great disconnect between Judas and Jesus I experience that sometimes anybody here besides me who has just a little bit of Judas in you Come on, raise your hand. Don't leave me alone up here. Don't make it, don't, don't make it worse by lying either. <laughs> but here alone in the upper room, I think something very special is taking place. I think Jesus is really finalizing the structure and reminding them that they're part of a brand new community. They're part of a new family. And Jesus defined family, excluding his mother and father, his biological family, by saying, my family are those who hear my words and do them. He's got the 11 disciples surrounded around him, and he begins to pour into them this vision of a new community, a new family. In the last few hours of Jesus' life during his earthly ministry, he begins to sketch out with his words a picture of the future that his disciples and everybody else who's a part of the family is going to get to be a part of. John 14, he talks about heaven. He talks about mansions that are made for us. And I think that the great promise that Jesus makes is that not only do we get to spend eternity with him, but one another. It's a family ordeal. For me, that's kind of special because December 21st of 1981... I was hit by a runaway car at forty-five mile an hour, and it smashed me through a fourteen-inch brick wall. And I was on my way to heaven. And I can't tell you there—I can't tell you what I felt. I don't—I don't have the English words to describe it. Other, I have never felt so completely and wholly loved and accepted in all my life. I knew I was going to heaven, and there was no sorrow in my departure. Then I came back. (laughs) And ever since then, I've kind of had a disconnect, you know. i felt like a piece of the puzzle, but have you ever put together a puzzle? Sometimes they're not always constructed well, and you have the right piece in the right place, but you kind of have to fudge it in a little bit. You ever had one of those? Kind of a stinker. We used to call them stinkers. I feel like I'm kind of one of them. Kind of a stinker. I'm a part of the picture. I'm a part of the puzzle, and I fit, but... I don't fit here nearly as well as the way I felt like I fit in heaven. There's a reality in a kingdom that is more real than this. It's eternal. It's the place that we've been created for, that God's called us to, a place where he's prepared for us. And that gets me excited. And the key that I've learned in walking on this earth now, the key to experiencing this new life and this promise in heaven right now is based on the relationship that each of us have with Jesus Christ right now on planet earth. And all of these words that Jesus could have spoken in the last hours of His life with His disciples, these are the words that He chooses to share. The words of John 13 through 17, and we're going to look at the 15th chapter here in just a minute. But starting in chapter 13 and working ourselves all the way through the end of the 17th chapter, we see the building blocks of the foundation of this new community, this new family, this spiritual union. A community that's built on this unique relationship that nobody belongs to unless they had this relationship. This unique relationship with Jesus. And here's how Jesus explained it. He said, a new command I give to you. He said, love one another in the same way that I've loved you. That's the way that I'm calling you to love others. And by this, if you do this, by this, all the world will know that you are my disciples. Why? Because you've loved people. You've loved others. You've loved one another the same way that I've loved you. Now, I know that to many of us, these are familiar words. We've heard these words. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. That the world will know that you are my disciples because of the way that you love one another. But I would dare to say that they still seem somewhat strange to some areas of our lives, especially if we're honest. Because, I mean, think about it. Loving is nothing new. It's been around for a long time. Long before Jesus ever had his earthly ministry, people loved. The Old Testament speaks often of love and reminds us to love our neighbor as ourselves. But when you look at the teachings of Jesus just a little bit closer, you begin to see that many things are new here. When the Old Testament spoke of loving our neighbors, Jesus comes and he redefines that by saying loving your neighbor means loving one another as we love ourselves. How many of you love your neighbor the same way you love yourself? It's a pretty tall order. See, when we become a part of God's family, there's this, there's this special connection, church. In Christ, we've become brothers and sisters and members of a single family, members of a brand new faith community. And there's also this new standard by which love is now measured. Love of neighbor is to be as love for yourself. And then we're told to love others with that kind of love. Man, that's a big ask. It's a huge ask. To love as Jesus did is a love that is willing to give of ourselves. And here's the point in all of this. The love that we have for one another, this sense of connection, this sense of family, this sense of community is to create a new outcome. It's in this Christ-like love that permeates this Christian community that the family of Christians made up of spiritual brothers and sisters, just like you and me, whose lives are embodied with the power of God and demonstrate their love for God by loving one another, is seen by others to be a witness to the entire world that Jesus Christ is real. Now, Jesus doesn't go around appearing to just everybody. But he does make appearances to people. How many of you have ever heard of that? That Jesus has appeared to somebody in our modern day. Let me see your hands. Look around, church. There's a lot of people who have heard that. But the primary way that he speaks to us is through his word. These teachings today. So here's the dilemma that I have. If Jesus doesn't appear to everybody and speak to them, the way that He has to some. And we're part of the family that are called to be the body of Christ, his, his voice piece, His arms, His hands extended, His legs, His feet. I'm convinced that there's people in the world who will never see Jesus unless they see it through somebody like you and me. You and I, our story, the story of transformation that brought us from darkness to light, for many people will be the only story, the only reflection of Jesus that people with which we work, people with which we live, people with which we do life ever see. How many of you are feeling like, oh God, Jr. that's a, it's putting a lot on me. You feel like that? Raise your hand. Come on. Yeah. But I think that's the point, see. I think it's an ask that's way beyond us. It's, a, it's an ask that's, that's too big for us to pick up. And in fact, I think when Jesus shared this teaching, I think he probably understood the value that things that are impossible with man are, say it with me, possible with God. I think he knew what it meant to, a, to abide in the vine. You break a branch off from the vine and it what? It dies. It's in this asking of belonging to this new community that our text comes into play, and where we're called to remain and abide in Him as the vine. An asking that's far beyond our personal capacity, and I think it's something that even requires us to adopt an alternative lifestyle that's contrary and different to the way that the world lives. Christians are called to pray regularly, without ceasing. That just means to have a, a life that actively engages God with a dialogue any place you're at. If you're a teacher at school in between handing out tests or grading papers. If you're a mother shopping at the grocery store, standing in line. You're pulling up to the Starbucks, you're driving down the road or whatever it is that you're doing. To just learn to train yourself to be intentional about engaging God on a regular basis. Prayer is dialogue. I think one of the things we're called to is to to daily Bible intake, and not just a couple of verses, unless you really meditate on it throughout the day. You know, I'm not really a fast reader. I'm faster than average, and I've read way more than average, but I'm not what you would call a voracious reader like some. But one of the things that happened to me when I gave my life to Jesus is I heard God's Spirit speak to me when I read His Word. You ever have that? God speak to you when you open up His Word. His Word is living. It's active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it builds us up and it strengthens us in the faith. So every time I grab my Bible and I open it up to read for my personal time, I always say, Lord... Enlighten my understanding. Give me ears to hear what you want to speak into my life today. Give me my daily bread. I've been doing that now for... well since... August 12th of 1981. And I can tell you that... the same chapters that I've probably read a thousand times still speak to me fresh and new. His mercies are new every morning. The daily bread that He has for you to live out your day, when you'll choose to abide in Him, it's new all the time. Look with me at John 15. I want us to read this parable together. Because Jesus is talking about family. He's establishing this whole vision of what it means to, to be a part of the family of God. And now knowing this, one of the metaphors that Jesus uses to convey this and to even make this clear is He explains now how a life of fruitfulness can only really be made possible when we learn. Everybody say, learn. You know, there's a, there's a learning curve to learning where we learn to abide and divine. So I want, you, I want us to answer the question this morning, what does it mean for me to abide in the vine? John 15, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and you cannot bear fruit apart from me. For apart from me, you can do, what's it say? nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. May the Lord Jesus bless these wonderful words to our hearts on this our Lord's day. Wow. What a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. When I think of abiding in the vine, I, I think that There's an expectation for believers to be involved in certain spiritual practices that build us up and strengthen us. If you're training for Olympic weightlifting, what do you do? You lift weights, you're on a diet. If you're training for a marathon, what do you do? You set up a training schedule and you go from 6 to 7 to 8 to 12, you get all the way up to where you can complete a marathon, and you watch your diet if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to abide in the vine and remain in the vine to the point to where you're fruitful, what do you do? You feed from God's Word. And you do things, hear me, You do things that cultivate and enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. Spiritual disciplines, whether it's prayer or silence or solitude or reflection or scripture memorization or whatever it is, they have no merit in themselves at all. They don't actually accomplish anything. The only thing that they do is they bring us before the throne of the cross. They bring us before the altar of God and they leave us there as an empty vessel that's in need of being filled by God's Spirit. And it places us in a position where the things that God asks us to do in this world that's bigger than us, that's beyond ourselves, it brings us to a place to where our vessels are filled by Him. This is the place where He equips us and empowers us to embody the goodness and the power of God in the worlds that we live. If that doesn't happen, what we do is just our ideas. And they can accomplish some things. But they'll never accomplish the things that are bigger and beyond us. Does that make sense? So I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about what works. Their purpose, their only purpose is to bring us before God. I I want to say something else here. Disciplines are permeated, saturated with the enabling grace of God. They're channels of God's grace whereby we hear from Him, we're touched by Him, we're empowered by Him. And sometimes Christians can get caught up in, in the idea that being a Christian is just being passive. And being a Christian is never being passive, it's never being inactive. We're called to strive to enter into the narrow door. So don't misunderstand here. Grace never means inaction or total passivity. Never. Never. It's just the opposite. The opposite of grace is works, not effort. And to take care of a vine, to grow and to be fruitful, takes a little bit of effort. You ever tended to a garden? You can tell I don't have green thumbs. It's a lot of work to make something grow and and grow healthy and be fruitful and work. I don't know where you are this morning in your life with Jesus. But I can tell you this, that even though the spiritual practices and disciplines have no saving merit in themselves, they bring us to the place where God dwells, and the place where we can commune and speak with Him. If you've not tried it, I want to encourage you to. And the key, everybody say the key, the key to abiding in the vine is developing a way of life that's relationally connected to God where we allow Him to come into every, every area of our life and tenderly, tenderly lift up the areas of our lives that are nonproductive. Those that are bruised and battered and torn and hurt and full of pain Overran with shame and pr- lovingly pruned them away so that we can grow to become fruitful. That's the key to abiding in the vine. But you have to do something. If I, I've been with my wife now for how long has it been? Oh, yeah, 40 years. This next year we'll celebrate 36 years. And I can't tell you that they've all been good years because they haven't. But we'd have never made it this far without being intentional about loving one another. And I can tell you this. You'll never really grow and become fruitful in certain areas of your Christian life if you don't become intentional about developing them and doing things in your life, it doesn't force God's hand, it just brings you before Him so that He can fill you to be His servant. Amen? Well, this is a setting that was similar to what Jesus celebrated that night with with His disciples. It was a table... It had all other kinds of food, on it? Where together they had finished a meal and Jesus reclined at the table. They had a dish probably centralized somewhere so that everybody could reach it. And the Bible says that evening at the end of His teaching, These teachings, some of which we've looked at tonight. That Jesus took a loaf of bread and after he blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup of blessing and he blessed it. And he gave it unto them saying, This is the cup of the new covenant that is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink from it, all of you. In the same way that spiritual practices bring us before God's throne to be filled, communion is a sacrament too. It's a connecting point where you can come and extend your faith meet with God. It's a channel of His grace and He loves you. He knows everything that you've gone through in 2015. He knows everything that lies before you in 2016. And I want you to know that He's the one who calms the storms. He's the captain of a ship through life's toughest storms. I want to invite you to bow your heads as Our elders come and invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart this morning for any of those unfruitful branches, branches that have been withering in your life that need to be pruned and ask God for His forgiveness and invite His Spirit to come in to cleanse you and to strengthen you.